Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody. The podcast where we talk with people from top nonprofit galas and fundraisers to show how they make their events fun and transform their communities. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli. And with me today is the one and only Lance Avery Morgan. Say hello, Lance. Hey, Rob. Glad to be here. How are you today? I'm great, and I'm glad that you're here. And for our audience, Lance Avery Morgan, for the last two decades, has helmed three different luxury lifestyle publications within the state of Texas. First was Brilliant Magazine, second was the Society Diaries, and third is Society Texas. During that time, Lance has had unprecedented access to the top galas and nonprofit fundraisers throughout Texas and beyond. And what we're gonna do with this episode is we're gonna talk about the things that you can do to lay the groundwork for success to make sure that your event is fun and it's something that people talk about for a long time to come and most importantly, that they wanna come back next year. So Lance, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me and congratulations on your new podcast. It sounds really cool. It sounds like it's going to really inform many people of things that they may or may not know. That's the goal. So we really appreciate you being here. So tell me a little bit, you have been to so many events. So let's start with what is the first thing that you look for in whether or not you are actually going to attend an event? Uh, you mean before I actually get to the event? Yeah. And, you know, you get many invitations. So, you know, what makes you say, yes, I'm going to attend your fundraiser? Well, I think it's there, there are many answers to that question. It's a really good question. For me, the event is, you know, there I've attended events really all around the world, and I've been so thrilled and honored to do that. And certainly here in Texas, fundraising and philanthropy is at an exalted level that is pretty unprecedented and unseen in any other state or market. So we have the advantage of being in Texas for a high level of fundraising. And usually on an international level, there is almost always a prominent Texan who is a part of that and whose vision the organization is um, accompanied by and led by. And it's a real synergistic energy that happens between the chair, between the organization, and between the guest. Interesting. So you get all these invitations and you have all these high profile people, many of which I know you consider to be good friends or close friends. So tell me a little bit more about what's what some of the some of the common traits of these events. For me, the number one common trait is energy with a capital E. What is the energy that happens with when you walk into an event, do you feel good? Do you feel comfortable? Are you greeted especially differently than perhaps another event? Do you see people that you know right away? Do you know the co-host? Do you know or co-chairs? Do you know the host committee? You know, what is your affinity for the organization? There are so many elements that come into play with that. I understand that. And it sounds like there's a lot of very interesting and different dynamics in play. So tell me a little bit more perhaps about um, why you feel that um, certain organizations are able to execute at a certain level. I think a lot, that's a great question too. I think a lot of it comes down to experience. Although there are a lot of great first year and first time galas, many times the the way a gala is structured and has been structured over prior years is part of its winning formula. So either it can be a winning formula of things that you're familiar with, or it can be a formula 
of things that you're not so familiar with. Like there's something called Heads or Tails, which is a really fun game. You you buy a a a, um, a chance to win a live auction item by heads or tails, and so you're literally either patting your head or patting your tail that reflects the uh, the um, the goal of the organization to went to earn money by heads or tails. That's just one thing that's sort of off the wall. Okay, so for our viewers at home who may not understand or know what that is, um, heads or tails is basically um, a way that people will, an auctioneer will be at the podium where everyone at the event is at, and they will flip a coin for heads or tails. And basically you signify whether or not you're doing heads or tails by putting your hand on your head or your hand on your bottom to showcase whether or not it's heads or tails. And if you have your hand on your head and it, and it flips to heads, you get to stay in the game. If, it's t if, if you have your hand on your head and it flips as tails, then you're no longer allowed to be in the game. Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? That's the perfect description. It's sort of like the old cakewalk game. So when the music starts, everyone's walking around in a circle. And when it stops, you have to grab a chair. It's kind of that principle of thinking quickly on your feet of heads or tails. So I love that you really put together something, you know, within an event that would be, um, you know, something tactical that, you know, people can do. Tell me a little bit, I want to go back to something you were saying about energy when you walk into a room. So you have mentioned to me many times over the years that you can immediately feel how successful an event is going to be from the second you walk into the room. Can you talk at a really high level about what you mean by that and the right type of energy that makes an event really fun and really dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. For me, I think it comes down to the goals that are at hand. Who Again, who are the people attached? What are the goals of the organization? What is the actual type of organization? And I think a lot of people who attend galas, they, they want to have what I call skin in the game. They want to have an affinity for the organization, whether it's touched them personally and closely or it's touched someone they know and love. So that's why in different markets, the different silos, if you will, of galas are, you know, it's visual arts, it's performing arts, it's medical it's children's-based charities, uh, it's animal-based charities. So if you have a pet, or if you love Broadway, or if you love collecting um, art on your walls, or if you have a child who may sometime need an organization with its outreach, those are examples of what you might be attracted to personally. And when you're attracted to it personally, I think you have a better time when you, when you have an affinity for the organization at the actual gala. So that's some really good insight. It sounds like that's a really good window into why someone would want to attend a person's particular nonprofit fundraiser. So while we're on that subject, say there's someone, you know, we have a lot of folks who are listeners of ours who may be newer at this. What is a really good, really basic thing that they can do to plan their event to make it fun that's something that's very accessible and very easy for just about anybody to do? Keep it moving. Those are my favorite three words. Keep the organization, the event moving quickly. One thing that I've done with my own entertainment. So, is, so, um, oh, so sorry, before we hop into that, can you no. can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by keeping the keeping the event moving? Sure, absolutely. Keep it moving means keep a pace that is on the rapid side throughout the evening, so that no one gets bored or tired 
or doesn't want to be there, right? You don't want anyone to not feel like they want to be there. So if you keep it full of surprises, whether it is a speaker, a special guest, a video, a band, uh, a compelling story, a heads or tails, there are so many ways to keep it lively and to keep the the evening going. And, and what's so great is that I always wonder after an event, what are people saying on the ride home? How do they look at the event immediately? And you know what are what are their most recent experiences that they just left the hotel ballroom? They've just gotten in the car and they're going home. What are they saying? Are they saying, gosh, that was great? Or gosh, they really missed the ball on that one. As, you know, I wish them all the best, but this isn't for us moving forward. So that's the last thing you want to hear. You want to hear people who have had fun. They're on board for next year and years in the future. And that really goes back to the event planners and chairs too. They need to start planning next year's event the day after the current event has happened. To, so, to really to ride that momentum. So explain why planning is such an important part of the overall success for an event. So let's go back to what you just said about you basically have to plan 364 days out for next year's gala, if not more. Explain the reason, explain two or three reasons why that's necessary for an organization to do in order for their event to be successful. Well, from what I've seen, and this goes back to my television production background in, in L.A. and Hollywood, and that is there are no mistakes in the production. There are only mistakes in pre-production. So it's all about the planning that leads up to the event. So, you know, was the sound check done correctly? Uh, are the table assignments and allotments done correctly? Is the decor where it needs to be? Are the speakers on time? You know, all of these things to anything so basic as did the invitations go out on time and did people respond to it correctly and efficiently and succinctly so that all of those tickets could be sold. Details like that. I mean, that's really all an event, a successful event is, is full of successful details. So you listed a whole bunch of different things in pre-production. I know that they're all important. What's What do you think is the most critical one that people really have to do to make sure that their event is a success? If people were to focus on one of those things, what one do, should they really focus on first and most importantly? That's a great question. I would focus on flow. What What is the event like? What does it look like when you, you know, you have to visually and uh, use every sense of, of what your five senses are. Uh, putting yourself into that event ahead of time. What do people see when they walk in? Do they see greeters? Do they see a champagne being a glass of champagne being handed to them? Do they see a red carpet? Do they see the the co-chairs shaking hands with people as they enter welcoming? You know, what is that first engagement? I think that's so important. It really sets the tone for the entire event. Also, the 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 decor that people see, I think, is important too. Doesn't have to be extravagant, but it has to be thoughtfully planned. So, you know, one really amazing photo opportunity next to a giant flower arrangement is always a good thing. For instance, it doesn't have to be over the top and it doesn't have to break an arm and a leg of the production budget, but just something that people can really connect to in connecting to the organization. So you mentioned production budgets just now. What is what is something for someone who may not have a large budget? What's a really good budget item that someone can get for their event 
that people will be really impressed with, but they, it really doesn't cost a lot of money. Well, one thing is that when people are at a gala and it's in the evening, and usually they're pretty dressed up unless it's a theme, right? A very casual theme. It's usually going to be cocktail or black tie. One thing I think is so crucial is lighting. So you want dim lighting in the venue and you want candles. So if you spend your whole budget on candles and you have, you know, different size candles on each table, there you go. Everyone looks great in candlelight. Everyone feels great in candlelight and it doesn't really break the budget. That's a really good point. So really what you're saying is on any budget, you can really make a room elegant because you can buy probably a bunch of candles for a couple of hundred dollars and really make a space or a venue really look spectacular. Absolutely. Instead of having flowers that, you know, may, and flowers are such a personal thing for people, but if you don't have a budget for flowers, you can make it up with candles. And I think that, you know, is that smart money put into a smart place for an event. That's really interesting. And it's a really good, I think, budget item for people to keep, you know, keep aware of before. So while we are hanging on the event, you had mentioned earlier the element of surprise. Tell me about an event you've been to where you were surprised and it really just left a really good impression on you about that event. And perhaps you maybe even still think fondly of it today. Well, first of all, any event I go to, I think back fondly of because I was I really made a concerted effort to go and support the event or the co-chairs or the organization. So every event is worthy. We, we know that, you know, when people show up to an event, all the work that's gone into that is going to be worth it. So the element of surprise is always fun, whether it is, you know, maybe it's a surprised uh, like a, a combo, a, a, a trio or a combo or a quintet that plays fun bossa nova music during dinner to set the, the mood. Or perhaps it is when there's a live auction, you have people from the organization who have a bottle of champagne and they have sort of an indoor fireworks sort of scenario that they can set off to call attention to the winners. Things like that, people remember and they're impressed by and, you know, they may not remember what the meal was, but they they will remember something like that that happened during the event. So what I'm hearing you say is the element of surprise doesn't have to be some celebrity that comes in and performs a bunch of musical numbers. It can really be something that is more, I don't know if intimate's the right word, but maybe personalized is the right word. Because, you know, people who do make a major donation they do want to, on some level, be seen and heard, especially if they're at an event. It, it's it's a little bit different if someone writes a check and says, I wish to be kept anonymous. It's different when you're in a room with, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand people, and they're waving a paddle number that says, you know, you're wanting to be noticed. Absolutely. And, and sure, uh, marquee brand talent is always nice to hear. It's always special. But you don't need that. You don't have to break the budget with that. Now, a lot of people think that all of these musicians donate their time. Many times they don't. They've got to pay for a band. They've got to pay for transportation. They've got to pay for equipment. So, you know, whenever you hear a, a really great artist, whether it's it's someone that you might recognize or is a household brand already or not, you know, a lot of thought has gone into arranging that entertainment for you, for sure. Well, that's interesting. And it's a good thing for people to know is just because someone or talent may say no to an organization doesn't mean that they don't necessarily believe in the organization. So what are some other things? Let's say someone wanted to ask someone who was a singer um, and they said no. How would you 
how would you what would you recommend in terms of next steps with that particular person? Well, if a singer says no, many times it is due to scheduling because a lot of these mm -hmm. these entertainers are very busy. They have they may have a tour that is is locked in that they can't get around. Sometimes you can craft your organization's time frame to that entertainer's stop along the way of your of where you're going to be whether it's the you know in austin dallas San Antonio, houston corpus galveston tyler lubbock amarillo anywhere you are so there's that opportunity but a lot of times there's some really great local performers who would love the opportunity to to show their talents in a charitable way right that you could you know perhaps if they were not if there was no budget you, you could say well, you know we'd love to compensate you with a gift card to your favorite restaurant for a really nice dinner. What is that restaurant? Can we can we contribute to your experience beyond the event since you contributed your talents to the event? So there's that sort of thing. There are, there's local theater. So you've got a lot of performing arts organizations who have children's groups who could perform uh, a number. So there's lots of really interesting ways that you can think beyond the event box, if you will, of having great entertainment. Well, that's really interesting with the entertainment. So I want to I want to touch back on that again for what you know, and kind of go back and maybe a slightly different angle and talk about when someone says no to an initial ask. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm I have seen many times over the years, and I'm sure you have too, that just because someone says no initially doesn't mean that they're saying no to the organization. So let's say you ask someone to perform, and they said no. What are some ways that you could go back to them and ask that person or that entertainer or that talent to be a part of the event? Right. Well, what they could do is you could ask them if their schedule doesn't allow, you could ask them to do a video message that they are sorry they can't be at the event, but they sure do believe in it. And they're, you know, the sending really good vibes toward the actual event and, you know, how much the organization means to them. And I would also ask them, hey, if we can't do it this year, can we get on your on your schedule for next year? Okay. And have you seen that other times when maybe a performer or an entertainer turns, you know, turns down an organization that they may donate like a guitar, autograph guitar or autograph sheet music or anything like that so that there's a way for them to still be tied with the event? Absolutely. Not only is there the uh, component of the physical part of that singer, but also there might be a chance to to ask them, hey, when you're recording your next album or when you're rehearsing, could we auction that off as an experience to be a part of it for, you know, say four people to come to your recording studio or to your rehearsal to see you in action? And that's worth a lot of money to a lot of people for that personal experience. It really is. And actually, you just touched on a very interesting thing that I do want to delve into a little bit. Um, and that is the is auctions. And, you know, mm -hmm. the one thing I've noticed having gone to many different markets is they are more important in certain in some markets than they are in other markets. Mm -hmm. What what would you recommend? What are just some what, two or three high level things, regardless of the geography that someone lives in? that they do where a live auction or a silent auction is concerned. My other three favorite words are know your room, right? So if you're at an auction for, or, or at a, uh, say a fundraiser for a Western art museum, for example, that's a very specific crowd. 
you're probably not going to, although there's something for everyone, but you're probably not want, you don't want to find a live auction item that is attending Paris Fashion Week, right? That may be a disconnect with the actual Western Art Museum, although there could certainly be patrons that would want to buy that, but you just really need to know your room. And I think that um, live auctions have been successful, which is great, and it's not so great. The great thing is that it raises money for the organization. The not so great thing is that it takes up the whole event. I have been to very many events where the entire event, besides the welcoming remarks and the invocation and you know most of the event, circles around a live auction. And that's great. But, you know, an audience isn't a cash machine. They want to get something out of this. They want to have a great experience, whether it's visiting with their friends, whether it is enjoying some entertainment, whether it is watching compelling video footage of the organization and, and, and a little bit further deep learning more and, and more deeply about what the organization does. But, you know, you got to respect your audience who are there. They're paying customers. They pay a lot of money. This may be the only game that they support. Who knows? So you want to make it a great experience for them. And if they support lots of great things, that's super. And you want them to want to continue to have more of an impact with an organization you by know, donating. No, and that makes total sense. And it's really interesting mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that you talk about that with the auction. And the one thing that I've seen is a lot of times auctions, especially live auctions, if there's 300 or 400 people in a room, there's probably only 30 or 40 people bidding. So, you know, you're asking basically the other 90% of a room to acquiesce to the other 10% of the room for a period of time. So you want to, obviously you need to raise money, but you want to, you want to be respectful of everybody's time and balancing the need to raise money with the balance of respecting everybody that's there. Um, yeah. Can you, can you give an example of a, a place or an event that you've been to that has that good balance of those two things? Absolutely. I think one thing is important from an event planning standpoint with the live auction, with the higher ticket items, and certainly when it comes to the significant paddles up amounts, you want to have plants in the audience. You want to have people that have already been talked to that they're going to commit to donating X amount of dollars. Because the last thing you want to do is have a starting bid that no one's comfortable with. Okay, so so if we can pause there for just a second, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by a plant? Absolutely. A plant would be someone who already has an affinity for and with the organization who is going to donate anyway, whether it is the starting bid of 100000 sometimes it's more, or 50000 or twenty-five. that sets the tone of the bidding after that. The last thing you want to have is radio silence in a ballroom with a high opening bid that no one no one no one understands or there's no affinity for so there's always going to be someone at a high level who will be at an event who would be the person to say yeah you know what i'll be the first to raise my paddle at 50 or 100 or 25 or 5000 it doesn't matter what the amount is but whatever that highest amount is you want people to already be engaged that's what i mean by plant Okay, and that's interesting. And while you were talking about that, you were talking about raising, you know, your paddle with a certain dollar amount. So, you know, can you elaborate a little bit on the difference between what a live auction is and what you mean when someone raises their paddle with a dollar amount? Absolutely. So a live auction is different than a paddles up. So a live auction would be auctioning off different trips, cars, 
experiences that will have the proceeds that go back to the organization. So that is a live auction, right? And then what that can turn to after the live auction items would be what is called a paddles up. And that's a colloquial term for people literally raising the, their paddle with their bidder number so that the event team can mark the event number down and the amount of the donation that those people have signed up for. You know, and that's a really good point. And, you know, it it's interesting because they're different and they serve, you know, different things. I have found lately, and I would say since, you know, COVID lifted, the Paddles Up has actually been more effective in a lot of ways than mm -hmm. a traditional auction, largely because a Paddles Up is something that you can quantify. You can say your $2,500 donation will provide intake for X number of people at, at, at a child abuse prevention center. Right. Whereas, you know, with a specific auction item, a lot of the time, and I, I don't think that this is something people realize, but I would say at least half those packages that are bid on in one don't ever get redeemed. Agreed. And I've even seen, you know, at places where I've seen the same package within the same social season be on an auction item three times because someone pays the dollar amount to the nonprofit and then they just gift it, gift it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then they, and then they allow that organization to bid on it. Has that been in your experience as well? That absolutely has been in my experience. And I think what's interesting that sets the events apart who have a significant live auction and a significant portion of that live auction goes to what the evening amount raised would be. You know, I've seen like, for instance, at two by two in Dallas, not only which is a which supports the Dallas Museum of Arts and AMFAR on a on a wider national actually international level, you know you have not only art because that's your captivated audience right there people who love the visual arts they also have experiences so it is for instance a photography session with worldwide famous photographer Jurgen Teller, or it's having lunch with Bill Clinton or George Bush, right? Usually separate lunches, but you know, it's those, <laughs> it's those experiences that make the difference. And that really reflects the organization of what their creativity is and who they can get to and how they can raise even more money by the relationships that they have through the Rolodex already. Well, I think that's a really important thing that you bring up that, you know, you, you had said, know your room, but, you know, it's also knowing and understanding that your room is not one dimensional either. Mm -hmm. what, is a, what is a piece of advice that you can give to people listening right now in terms of how to balance those two things? Ooh, that's really good. I think really knowing your donor well is important. I, I know that the development people, the event shares, the executive directors of our organizations, they try and get to know their donors well, and that's really smart. And and, and if I can interrupt for a second, and what sure. you mean by donor, and we can kind of talk about it in terms of like a buyer persona. So mm -hmm. we're not necessarily, yes, you want to know donors individually, but mm -hmm. you also want to know the donor base at large. And I think Absolutely. that's what you were trying to say. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, it goes, it goes back to the specific individual interest of the of the gala goer, the audience member. So for instance, the um, the uh, Houston Center for the Performing Arts, they're all about the performing arts, right? So if you're there for visual arts, forget it. If you're there for 
medical or children's, forget it. It's all about supporting the visual arts and mostly their youth groups, right? Mm -hmm. Excuse me, the performing arts with their youth groups. So, you know, knowing your room, knowing your donor, knowing what their interests are. And I think also looking for honest feedback after an event has happened, if you're the organization, whether it is, you know, SurveyMonkey or whatever email blast you want to do for people to give feedback, that people are very, very honest with that feedback. They are, you know, if they have a great time, they're going to let you know. If they did not have a great time, they're also going to let you know. So getting that feedback with really how to build a, how to build a better mousetrap for the next year so that you continue to do the correct things well and you pivot with things that did not work and were not well received. You know, that, that's that's some really good and really sound advice. Um, and, you know, I think we're about out of time here. Okay. So um, what I want to do is I basically just want to end and ask um, with a couple of questions of you. So what is one thing that every good event has in common? That's a great question. Uh, one thing that every great event has in common is the will to do better in their community with their organization. That is so important. If you have people who are in the organization or who attend, who are phoning it in, that's not sustainable. So you really have to have genuine interest of the supporter as well as the organization. And that starts from the leadership down. What are the, what are the experiential things that you typically remember from a gala? What I remember at a gala is, and we touched upon this before, is lighting in a room. You want everyone to feel beautiful and look beautiful. So, you know, sort of comfortable lighting, not bright fluorescent lights, lighting on the table with candles. You want, uh, you want it to, you want to walk in and know that this is a professional organization who knows what they're doing and they are serious about raising money or why in the heck are you there? And what is the definition of fun for you at an event? The definition of fun for me really goes back to our original conversation on energy. Yeah, you, you want to you see people that you recognize and that you know, and you also want to see people that you'd like to know. So it really is sort of a, a mind share, if you will, in a ballroom, at an event, at a party. And it doesn't have to be a big gala for 1200. It can be, you know, a simple... Uh, dinner party, raising awareness as well as funds for, you know, 10, 15, 20 people. It doesn't matter what size of the room, as long as the, the, the largesse is there, if you will, is really important. Largesse. Can you explain what that means? Sure. Largesse is the, uh, how we feel compelled to be a part of something, to give to something, and to share ourselves with something. To me, that's what largesse means. And and many organizations, most organizations have that. Most organization donors and um, audience members, they already have that. It's just capitalizing on that and casting a wider net to their network as well, your audience members network, to get more people involved if those audience members, those donors are comfortable with doing that. Because, you know, there's always more money to be raised. There are always more programs to be had. They're all, all, there's, there's more art to be had, more children to be served, more technology to be developed within the medical community. I mean, it's never ending. And I think we really see that being based here in Texas. Fantastic. And final question. For someone that's wanting to get involved with their first fundraiser or their first gala, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? Absolutely. Pick up the phone, 
call directly or email inquire you know, get to know someone at the organization as you start making up your mind to support them i think that's really important because there's going to be someone at an organization whether it's the executive director the development person you name it anyone can can share the organization's message with you and what their goals are and the more you personally have an affinity for it the more you're going to be impacted yourself by what you give and what you see them giving and doing in the community. Fantastic. Well, Lance Avery Morgan, um, founder of Society Texas, Society Diaries, and Brilliant Magazine. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Well, thank you so much. And the next time, uh, if there is a next time that you ask me to be on, I have a whole bunch of questions for you because I know you have seen and enjoyed <laughs> so many galas and events in your time. And I'd love to I'd love to peel back the box and learn more about what you've seen and what you've enjoyed and what you think were impactful. If you'll have me on again. Well, I will. And you are very kind to think so. Well, that concludes this episode of Fun and Fundraising. You can find me wherever you can find podcasts at Fun and Fundraising. Raising, find me on Instagram at Rob Giardinelli or on my website at godiningfordollars.com. Thanks again. And remember, keep it fun, keep it interesting, and everyone will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.